Hello, I'm Mariet Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today we're focusing on teenagers, understanding who they are and what they need. My guest is Dr. Terry Henderson, child and adolescent psychiatrist from Cape Town. Welcome, Terry. Hi, Mariette. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure because it's a wonderful book you've written. After our conversation, Terry will give us her three best tips on an easier day, and then it will be fun question time. Terry, as I've just mentioned, we're talking about your book, Let's Talk Teen, today, and it's fresh off the press. You wrote it for both teenagers and parents, but in this podcast, we're speaking mainly to parents and other adults involved with teens. Now, could you mm-hmm. please tell us a little about yourself and your interest in teenagers? Okay, so I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist. So essentially, that's a general psychiatrist who's trained in child and adolescent psychiatry. And I've been working in the field for approximately 10 years now and developed a special interest in adolescence over that time. Uh, So now I uh, work in private practice and uh, focus predominantly on adolescence and advocating for their mental health needs. And are you a parent yourself? Yes, I'm a parent and I have two teenagers. They're very positive. (laughs) I like my teenagers. And um, I think it's a lovely, lovely life phase. And that comes up in the book as well. That um, I think adolescence is often seen as a phase of life that we would rather prefer to sort of shove it away or pretend it doesn't happen or let's get through it as soon as possible because it's so tricky and teenagers are so scary. So... Part of the book is also about celebrating adolescence and acknowledging that um, it's an incredibly creative time in life and to acknowledge the adolescent journey, which is a really significant life phase. Yes, I think that is very helpful. One thing that's very helpful about your book is the fact that you talk about celebrating your teenagers because I think as parents we often just, you know, pay attention when we're struggling with something and forget to celebrate. I think I think that comes from a lot of parents don't know how to parent a teenager. Um, you know, it's easy easier with a child. You just sort of fix the situation. But it's a lot more difficult to parent a teenager, partly because teenagers don't go to their parents for help. But also, you know, general society associates teenagers with all kinds of chaotic behavior. And... And because teenagers deliberately separate out from their parents because it's a developmental need, I think it's difficult for parents to know exactly how to remain engaged and, and what to do. Yes. How did your book come about? Uh, well, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I didn't plan to write a book. What, what I had planned was try and meet adolescent needs in the, in the community. I was going to um, set up a a bus and um, myself and a psychiatric nurse were going to drive to the schools and do psych education and then possibly see some clients. And I was going to have a, a disco ball in the back of the microbus. But they'd realized I'd never be able to do that and uh, didn't have the time. And the book came about because I'd come home from work and uh, talk a lot about what I'd seen in the day. And, and, and I realized I was having similar conversations uh, all the time with, with clients and their parents. And somebody said to me, well, why don't you start jotting down some of your thoughts? So well, on a Sunday morning, I started jotting down some thoughts and it just emerged from there. Mm. And it, it it was a very natural thing to do to write a book. So it, it um, all happened quite quickly within about six months because I think the conversations or the chapters in the book are the conversations I've been having for a long time. So it, I was really writing down some of the things I say on a regular basis. And that is the, how the book came about. Yeah. And for whom did you write the book? 
So the book is written, um, it's aimed at teenagers. So it's, uh, it's not a dense book, it's a small, um, easy to read paperback. And I, I write as if I'm talking to teenagers. So the, the chapters are short, easy for them to read. Um, and it's aimed at their level. So the sort of statements I make and the sort of suggestions I make are aimed at, at sort of teenage level. However, it's also very easy for parents to read. But it's definitely a book written for teenagers. And um, at the end, I have a, a chapter for parents. But a lot of the feedback I'm getting is that parents are finding it very useful. Because yes. in a sense, if you understand what your teenager is going through, you have a, a better sense of them. Yeah, and how would you describe the tone in which you wrote the book? Well, it's quite a sort of relaxed tone, really. It's like having a conversation. So it's, it's, not, an, it's not an academic work, let's put it that way. It's a, it's a book that I hope teenagers can, can open up at school and open up at home and read a chapter and just learn something from it. It's, it's very much written on a... On a um, it's a conversational style at the teenage level. So it's easy reading and certainly not complicated. Um, I'm quite quite straightforward with the things that I say. So it's not something that people are going to have to read and reread in order to make sense of. I think the chapters are very straightforward, also very uh, compact and and in, in simple terms, really. Yes, and you know what really struck me was that you manage, I don't know how you managed it, but you talk to, whether it's a teenager or an adult reading the book, you talk to the person as if you trust them to be able to make really good decisions when they hear the facts that you present. Yes, so the, the, the issue and the, the origin of this concept is that there is... Um, very, very little awareness, uh, knowledge, information about teen issues, about adolescence. I'm often shocked at how little people know about what being a teenager is about and, and what it means and very little understanding of what um, this life phase is about. Even sometimes people who've worked with this age group um, for a long time uh, may not necessarily have a full understanding of what this developmental phase is. So if you give somebody information, you give them the ability to then make a decision. So in other words, if they can understand themselves and understand some of their behavior, they're then able to work with that information and then possibly change it by using um, advice or skills that they're given. So what I'm trying to do with the book is to help teenagers identify what they're going through. If they're having experiencing something, they, you know, through what I've written, may understand what it is and have better clarity about what experiences they're going through and therefore what to do with those experiences, especially when it comes to the emotional experiences. Yeah, I think that worked very well. You, you certainly managed to do that. That leads into the question that developing into a teen is a complicated matter. And could you please explain which levels are involved? Okay, so um, there is development happening on numerous levels. The most obvious level is physical growth. And that takes place at various times. But we're looking at Adolescence is a life phase that starts from approximately age eight or nine. It's slightly earlier in girls and boys and continues into 18, 19, and then the early 20s. So I think sometimes people feel that sort of adolescence or being a teen is sort of just 12 to 18, but it's a slightly longer age group. And in that time, there's obviously significant physical development um, there's uh, sexual maturation that takes place in that time. There's extensive brain development in, um, that, that takes place, which is certainly more complicated than what people understand. And then, of course, there's emotional development and the development of the ability to regulate one's emotions. And on a psychological 
level, adolescence is all about developing a sense of self. So as a child, we have a sense of self that's quite integrated in terms of our family and our school and the family system. And an adolescent needs to go out into the world and develop their own sense of self. And that is the sense of self that they will then carry into adulthood. So there are many levels of development which makes this a very intense time in life and which can sort of understand why it's not always smooth. Mm. There's a lot going on for these youngsters in a very relatively short period of time. So, yes. I've heard you mention that there are many misunderstandings about puberty. Could you please shed some light on tweenhood, puberty and adolescence? Okay, so I think we people generally think puberty is sort of a... Um, a little bit like a struck-by-lightning event that happens at around age 12 or 13. There's um, a strong association with um, puberty being suddenly when your child starts developing uh, sort of a sexual maturation and then obviously in girls with the onset of, of menstruation. So people focus on age 12, 13 as being puberty. Um, but puberty is actually a developmental phase that starts in girls at around age 8 up until age 15, 16, and in boys from age 9 up until age age 15. So it's actually a much longer period. And some kids will go through puberty earlier, which is not necessarily a good thing because they then have a body that looks older than it should be and people then expect them to behave slightly older. And obviously kids will develop uh, or go through puberty at different times and therefore will develop at different times. And there needs to be an acknowledgement that that this does happen at different times. And so for those that go through puberty earlier, it's not necessarily easier for them. And obviously for those that go through puberty a bit later, there are also challenges with that in terms of catching up and growth and, and development. So I think important for people to understand that it's a, it's a five to six year process and not a one to two year process at age 12 or 13. The age of puberty seems to be decreasing. So we now often see girls going through puberty at age uh, 11 and there are various reasons for that, but it seems to be uh, progressing earlier. And then there are certain situations where kids will go through puberty prematurely and that is associated with um, issues as well. But essentially that puberty is um, a lengthy process that involves many changes and takes place from around age 8 to 9 to age 15 or 16. Yes, and you mentioned that it's rather difficult to understand the brain development that takes place. Could you tell us more about that? Yes. So the adolescent brain development is is a very interesting area that also helps us to understand adolescence a little bit better. So essentially what is happening through adolescence in terms of brain development is that um, the brain is constantly pruning and and look so the neurotrophins in the brain helping to develop the the, um, the right neuronal development so that we have healthy neural development and neurons that are particularly efficient. So what's happening all the time is that certain synapses that are inefficient or not working properly are snipped off. So it's a bit like a pruning process and so that we're helping to develop an adolescent brain that functions well as an adult. But the development doesn't happen all over the brain at one time. The development actually starts at the back of the brain or what we call the posterior part or the primitive part of the brain. Um, and then throughout adolescence, that brain development moves forward over the top of the brain and then to the frontal lobe. And I'll explain why that is important. So the, the primitive part of the brain or the posterior part of the brain is strongly associated with the reward experiences. So eventually... Um, what we look at is that the the adolescent, young adolescent, is very much primed towards reward because that is the area of the brain that is functioning optimally. 
So they will seek reward-related experiences. So, for example, an adolescent will know that um, driving through a red traffic light is a risky thing, but they will do it because they think there'll be a greater sort of reward by doing that from, for example, the peer group. And then over time, the brain development, as I said, progresses towards the frontal lobe, and the frontal lobe is responsible for being organized, um, critical thinking, problem solving, sort of regulation processes. So it's it's really later on in adolescence where we where they actually have the brain skills to moderate behavior and to problem solve and to organize themselves. So it, that helps us to understand that younger adolescents are less able to regulate themselves, and that's very much on a neurobiological basis, and that gradual brain development that takes place eventually um, completes itself with the development of the frontal lobe and then we see the older adolescents for example 16, 17, 18 much more able to regulate themselves organize themselves and you know move towards adulthood. I just want to mention here um, things that interfere with that brain development are problematic and one of the things that interferes is obviously the development of, of mental illness. And that is why there is an urgency to treat mental illness, um, because that brain development is delayed. So we want to treat it as soon as possible so that the brain development can um, progress as it should. If I understand correctly, then it may seem as if Teenagers are irresponsible sometimes, but that is because their brain development is still taking place. Uh, well, absolutely, they don't. So young teenagers don't have the cognitive development um, necessary to always to make the right decisions or to regulate themselves or to manage their emotions. It's often that's why you see that um, people talk about moody teenagers, but typically younger teenagers, 14, 15, 16, their emotional regulation skills are not quite developed, and so it is harder for them to regulate their emotional states, and that's on a neurobiological basis. So teens being irresponsible, it's it's more about um, not having um, so not having a fully developed frontal lobe, which allows you to think through a problem clearly. So they're more likely to make possibly an incorrect choice in a situation. Uh, because they don't have that fully developed brain power as yet. And that's why it's a learning experience. And that's why it's important to, to have boundaries in place and to, have, and to help um, guide adolescents to make the correct decisions. Thank you. Now, for a teenager, Terry, the fear of fitting in is an enormous challenge. All right, well, let me explain why it's such an enormous challenge. Developmentally, teenagers, after leaving childhood, have to must separate from the parental home, from parents. They must enter the world and start learning about the world. And uh, we talk about, from a developmental point of view, the sense of self that a child has can no longer serve that purpose because you don't go from being a child to an adult. You have to go via adolescence. And so the sense of self from childhood has to fragment in a way and, and from that fragmented place, an adolescent then de develops a sense of self. But the importance about um, adolescence is all about peer group. And that's because um, the development of the sense of self happens within the interactions within a peer group. So it's highly developmentally appropriate and necessary to have a peer group. Um, in order for your development to take place. So that need to fit in is, is actually the biological need, it's developmental need, and fitting in amongst your peers is makes you feel that you are capable, accepted, that you are succeeded. Um, and if you're not fitting in, that's why it creates so much enormous distress, partly before, because you are even excluded, but also developmentally, you're not able to do what you need to do. So the need to fit in is uh, emotionally very intense, but also developmentally very intense. And I think it creates enormous distress for, for, for teenagers. Just for example, changing schools and going into high school, most teenagers fear or they're, they're 
they're mostly anxious about will I find friends? Will will I find a friend group? Will I fit in? Will I have friends? That is a huge anxiety for teenagers moving into high school and throughout the first few years of high school. Belonging to a group of peers is extremely important and you could see that healthy development takes place when teens are part of hopefully a healthy peer group. Um, and that's where the development takes place. That's where all those, all those interactions between friends are very important in terms of developing a sense of self. And that's why adolescents are very, very determined to find each other and um, be in contact with each other. Because it's the interplay that happens between friends and peer group that uh, sense of self is developing and how we're learning about life. Yeah, I think I I never quite understood it before. So thank you. Mm. And then teenagers really need to feel they matter. What can parents do in this regard? This is really something that is um, for families to understand. I think sometimes parents feel that their their teenagers go off and their parents don't seem to matter anymore and teens don't want to spend time with their families they want to be with their friends which is all completely normal but that doesn't mean that the family is now no longer necessary that parents are no longer necessary they are still extremely necessary and definitely need to be in the picture be available and it's important to um, let their teens know that as a family and as parents, they still matter as much as they used to. So it's important for teens to be involved in family functions and to still have a role within the family, even though they have separated out. And it's by, for example, showing interest in what your teen is doing and supporting them and maintaining a connection with them and ensuring that that even though they need to separate out and you have to support that as a parent, they're still very important to you and and what they're going through is it matters to you and that they matter to you and the family. Yeah, and then you have a chapter called My Body Beautiful. Please tell us more about that. Okay, so there has to be a chapter about body when you're talking about teenagers. Um, this chapter comes in because it's exactly the opposite. Teenagers don't feel their bodies are beautiful. I think if you ask a teenager, especially a teenage girl, what does she like about herself or what does she like about her body, she may give you a list, long list of things she doesn't like. So this chapter is there to try and shift that sort of thinking that if you don't have what you perceive to be the perfect body, that does not mean that you need to invalidate your body so um, the body shape that you have is who you are and you shouldn't devalue it whatever the shape of your body is that is what it's meant to be and we can't all lean to what everybody perceives as the perfect shape that doesn't really help us because if you're constantly undermining yourself that means your self-image is very poor your self-confidence is very low and it's very hard to negotiate the world when you feel like that. And I think it's something as a society we need to work hard against is that this thing of having a beautiful body is the only successful thing. And uh, it's interesting, in the first chapter when I talk about the adolescents who've certainly made uh, big changes in the world, one of them is a, is a girl who challenged a, an adolescent magazine called Seventeen, to only use normal teenagers on their front cover and not photoshopped teenagers. And um, what a wise thing to have done because there is no such thing as the perfect body. And it's so sad when you hear teenagers say that they need to be skinnier, they need to be skinnier because they want to look like so-and-so. Um, constant criticism of themselves. And unfortunately, this concept of having a beautiful body is played out by society, it's played out by teenagers themselves and causes a lot of distress for many teenagers. It's a different kind of situation for boys and that is, am I muscular enough? Am I, do I need to go to the gym or that sort of thing? It's more on that side. But also looking um, athletic, looking fit, um, 
is a different kind of emphasis that comes through with boys. But I'm really trying to say that your body is beautiful, full stop, mm. without all those other concerns that you have. And then another chapter is called Don't Take Away My Phone. <laughs> well, I had to write that chapter, of course, because um, the issue of cell phones and teenagers is, is, well, they're inseparable. Firstly, the phone is one way for teenagers to access one another. So I think our generation, we had the telephone that was stuck to the wall. Mm. And you did anything you could to get to that telephone as fast as you could so that you could talk for hours, well, we all we'll remember that, to your friends. And in the modern day situation, the, mo the mobile phones have replaced that and, and social media has replaced that. So there needs to be an understanding that teenagers are on their phones because they're communicating with friends, which is important. Um, the social media platforms and, and the cell phone communication is not, however, always positive. So they are friends, chatting to friends, but then some of the social media does open up for destructive experiences, shaming experiences, and... And, and dangerous experiences. So teenagers do not like to be separated from their phones, but we need to know that what they're experiencing on their phones is healthy. And one way of, of, of asking about that is, is really to ask about, is there anything happening on your phone that you feel you can't manage or is, is upsetting you? And that's one way to keep... Um, check on phones often there's concern that kids are on phones late into the night which is problematic because it affects their sleep um, and being on the phone or being active on social media in that hour before sleep will affect sleep so we often see sleep difficulties and then the advice obviously is to that phone needs to be put away at least an hour before bedtime to allow the brain time to unwind so it's the chapter on the phone is to try and help understand why the phone is always there and they're always on their phone and how to moderate it and to understand what they're trying to achieve by being on the phone. Social media is problematic um, because it is uncensored. And so we rely a lot on, on adolescents themselves trying to manage what is on their phone and often they can't. So it's about trying to help your teen manage their phone and um, what they're doing and seeing on their phone um, without being extremely intrusive. So, for example, like reading them, going through their phone without their permission. So that is what that chapter is about. And then you talk about the positive side of school and about when school pressure becomes crippling. So school pressure is something that's I'm always hearing about. Look, school is essentially highly important for, for many reasons. You know, teenagers have the home environment and then they have the school environment. And in fact, most of the developmental issues that they need to negotiate are happening in the school environment. So high schools have a um, very important role in terms of creating opportunities for growth, for stimulation, for learning for sport, for creativity, but also um, in terms of providing structure and boundaries for teenagers. And of course, with school comes um, academic demands. And you know, teenagers are trying to negotiate a whole lot of areas, emotional growth, physical growth. And then so academic pressure is often the one thing that we see can, can make a teen very stressed because they might be coping on a level and coping with a lot of issues and then well then exams are coming and then we start to see teens um, destabilize because obviously that's significant academic academic pressure and it may be that they're only just keeping their head above water in terms of all the other challenges they're experiencing and then with academic pressure they often can't cope and then you will get the sense that school is too much but we have to look at it from every aspect. What else is going on that is very stressful? So, so school pressure is something to look out for. And I think it's important 
a lot of parents have high expectations and expect their teens to do extremely well. And often those expectations need to be reviewed. Um, if, if a teen is battling under constant academic pressure and, if, and is constantly stressed and strained and distressed because there is so much academic pressure, we need to look at the situation and ask whether this academic pressure is appropriate and whether another, a different academic setting or, or schooling setting wouldn't be more appropriate for this particular teen. And, and I think what I say in that chapter is that um, no teen's mental health should be placed in jeopardy uh, for academic achievement and meeting others' expectations. And look, an adolescent can certainly push themselves, definitely. And sometimes that needs to be looked at and and work through with them in terms of what is appropriate expectation. But also adolescents are under enormous amount of pressure within our society to achieve in order to have opportunities in the future to be a successful adult and to um, change the trajectory of what has been their family's history and to be a successful adult and to be well-educated and to have successful adulthood. So there is a lot of that pressure. And it's good to keep that in mind. Yes. yes. Pressure is important, but it's not always appropriate. And then in the book, you talk about teenagers' feelings, the good and the bad. Could you please talk about that? Okay, so, you know, teenagers will certainly wobble. And I use the word wobble. Um, and I'm thinking now of grade 8s and grade 9s because emotionally it does seem like they're wobbling. It can be seen very emotional. If something happens with a friend, there can be quite an emotional response. And, you know, for a couple of days, their mood will, they might be quite tearful and they're quite upset and they look quite down. And so wobbling is part and parcel of the process that I spoke about earlier. The ability to regulate one's emotions isn't great with that early adolescent stage. Then, so they, you know, Adolescence is about having a wonderful time with your friends and laughing and feeling fantastic. So those are the good feelings. But adolescents also have bad feelings. Um, maybe bad feelings about themselves, bad thing, feelings about what has happened to them. And so by starting to talk about bad feelings, I'm starting to introduce the concept that there are negative thoughts that adolescents have and, and a negative style of thinking that may develop, which which causes them to feel very negatively about themselves. So I often say that where there are bad thoughts, then there are bad things happen. And that is why we need to, to be able to identify bad thoughts that become too prominent or there needs to be a balance between the good and the bad. And that leads to the next chapter, which is what on negative thinking. Yeah, so you talk them through it in the book. Yeah, so, you know, I think that's what I'm trying to do is to educate teens about what are, what are feelings. I mean, all have lots of feelings, especially when a teenager has many, many feelings, many different feelings. And it is normal to have feelings that seem to go up and down and, and be a little bit all over the place. And that is appropriate and it's normal, um, but there is a time when it becomes inappropriate and abnormal and concerning. And so I want teens to understand what is the normal, and so it is normal to have good and bad feelings, but I need them to understand when their feelings are becoming overwhelming and they can no longer manage their feelings, and then we start moving into the territory where there's some concern around the, the intensity of feelings and the kind of feelings they're having and the behaviour that goes with that. Yeah, and my next question also has to do with normality. I wanted to ask, on behalf of parents, what is normal teen behaviour? Okay, what is normal teen behaviour? So, what is normal is for your teenager not to want to spend so much time with you, but to want to spend time with their friends. So, you may be used to having holidays with your children four times a year. All of a sudden, your children don't want to go away, they want to be at home so that they can see their friends. So that is completely normal. We need to think about teens going into the world and learning about themselves. So it's normal for them to test boundaries, to to question maybe the family's beliefs, the value systems, 
and to ask questions about the world around them and do they agree with these things. So it's normal for them to question. It's normal for them to want to experience different things and possibly experiment with, with things because they're seeking out experiences that allow them to develop um, and in, in the end to make decisions regarding things. So I think the first step is that separation from family. That's completely normal. And then, as I spoke about, sort of emotional wobbling is to be expected. And and to, when they deal with things, sometimes teens will with, withdraw and it seems they spend a lot of time in their room. And they're trying to process things and they need that separate time to process things. And often their safest space is in their room. Um, so they may spend quite a lot of time in their room, um, and that's okay as long as there's still interaction with the family, eating meals with the family, socialising and doing sport and participating. So, but time alone, they will look for time alone, and that probably is in their room. Probably close the door, but um, you still need to check on them. That is normal. Then I talk about normal experimentation. So. Um, some kids are very clear cut and they're not interested in any experimentation in terms of substances or relationships and sexual interests. Um, but others will, you know, will look that way and look for experiences in those domains. And we need to help teens understand what experiences and experimentation is okay and what is not okay. And that's something parents need to negotiate and talk through with their teens. Yes, many of these things you discuss. Um, I wanted to mention that we can't discuss all the chapters today, but you write about the so-called cool kids and intimacy and sex, gender issues, drugs, bullying, mental health issues, and also when a teen doesn't want to live anymore. Now, you have touched on the reason for writing about mental health, which is that it could interfere with the maturation of the brain. Could you tell us more about the reasons you wrote on mental health? So I wrote this book specifically for this chapter on mental health. So it was important to talk about normal teen issues, but it's very important and very important to me that there is great awareness and understanding that teenagers have mental health issues. I'm always amazed when parents say to me, but teenagers don't have depression um, they must just get over it it's um they must just get on with it it'll get better it's you know it's, it's nothing wrong with them they must just stay off their phone or exercise a bit more so very little awareness that mental health exists within adolescence and mental health issues and mental health disorders are part of childhood and adolescence and this tremendous gap in knowledge and awareness around mental health issues in teenagers is, is crippling for teenagers and for parents. Because what happens is that teenagers, teenagers don't talk about what's happening to them. They stay very quiet. They only reach out when they really have to, and that's usually to a friend. Um, and maybe that'll then get to a school counsellor. And usually parents are the last people to find out that they're teen is really battling and that's not necessarily because they have failed their teen but it's because teenagers deliberately don't want to burden their parents they don't want their parents to feel guilty they don't, they're ashamed um, so they keep very quiet and I want teenagers to be aware of um, of what is happening if if they are in the area of um, moving towards mental illness or experiencing mental health challenges that they cannot manage because by having information, we will be able to intervene sooner. And that for me is the critical thing here, is that this lack of knowledge and this lack of awareness creates a situation where teenagers battle with mental health issues for prolonged periods of time. So it's not uncommon for me to assess a teenager who's presenting in crisis who's actually had symptoms and been battling for two to three years. In fact, that's the norm. It's very unusual for me to see a teen who's recently developed um, difficulties within the last three to six months, for example. And that for me is very, very concerning because it means that teens are battling unnecessarily 
and their development is affected unnecessarily. And the longer they have untreated symptoms, the worse something is, and it's harder to treat. And the damage done to their self-esteem and their self-confidence is often then very difficult to correct. So the chapter on mental illness, some may have thought that it's too heavy, and I should have left it out and just um, spoken about teen issues, but I specifically wrote this book to draw attention to teen mental health issues because in my mind there's a very, very severe gap and it's affecting teenagers significantly. So I didn't take the chapter out, but in fact I got my daughter to to edit the chapter so that it is written in a way that isn't overwhelming for a teenager and um, something that they should be able to understand and something that parents should be able to understand. Yeah. So that hopefully people are not left thinking mental health issues only start in adulthood. Um, we really, really need to move towards understanding that mental health issues start in childhood and are certainly there in adolescence. And when should a teen get professional help? So teenagers in difficulty who are needing help are teenagers who are no longer able to function like they used to. And so what is noticeable is a change in behaviour. So they are they're not able to interact like they used to socially. Uh, there's a lot more withdrawing from people, withdrawing from friends, withdrawing from family. They're isolating a lot. Um, they're no longer to keep up with the things they normally do. So they're falling behind at school, marks are dropping. They're not attending their sport commitments or their extramural commitments. Um, they seem to be withdrawing or pulling back from, from the life that they were leading. Their sleep is disrupted. They're not eating properly. So what what we need to be alerted to is a teen that seems to be um, things have changed according to how they were, and it's this consistent change. So it's not just a change for a day or two, but it's a teen who's showing significant change from the more norm that has certainly lasted longer than two weeks and and continues to deteriorate. That is the most obvious clue to parents and. Um, teachers and um, school counsellors is that when a, a teen who was functioning is now no longer functioning like they were and there's a change in behaviour, that is a clue that something is wrong and we need to find out what is going on. Where should parents go first, do you think, when they are worried that their teen's behaviour has changed? Well, I think it's important to speak to the school counsellor and find out how your teen is functioning at school. The important thing for a parent to understand is that it's not something you can fix for your teen. So parents, you know, will be anxious about things and they want to ask their teen a whole lot of questions. And uh, teens find that very, very intrusive. So they tend to clam down um, and say nothing. So I think it's important for parents to understand that they cannot fix their teenager. Um, it doesn't work like that. You could do that with your children but you can't do that with your teenager and it's important to get in uh, professional help sooner rather than later because the teenager will talk to somebody who's going to protect their confidentiality and, and they can connect with so anybody who's who's skilled in in looking at uh, difficulties and then my last question what are your thoughts on being a good parent when I heard that, it's about being a good enough parent. Oh. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Um, being a good enough parent means staying connected uh, to your team, being interested in them. I had this shirt made when I did a talk once, and on the shirt it said, see me, hear me, enjoy me, and love me. So see your team for what they're doing, see what they're involved in, be involved and be interested in what they're interested in, support them, and it's always about loving them still. Don't dismiss them, don't minimise them. Um, if your teenager says to you they need help, you have to listen to them because it's a very brave teenager who puts their hand up and says, I need help. You have to listen and you have to take it seriously. So being a good parent is about Supporting, staying interested, um, you know, supporting a teen through their difficulties, not minimising their difficulties. 
it's very distressing for teens when they do try and talk to a parent and a parent says, well, well, you should just uh, try harder or you'll get over it or mm. it's just teenage issues, you know, all teenagers have emotional issues. So minimizing um, what they present to you is, is very hurtful. And um, if a parent can just not do that, that would make a big difference. Also a good enough parent who's prepared to put down a boundary and keep structure for their teen, because boundaries help to keep someone feeling safe. If there's no boundary, then teens don't feel safe and then their behaviour tends to get more chaotic. And it's about setting boundaries on things like, for example, phone usage or going out or socialising they're doing. But it's important to remember that when you're setting a boundary, it's more likely to work if you negotiate it with your teen. And a team ultimately does want a boundary. They don't want a free-for-all. It's, it's too overwhelming for them. So they actually do want a boundary. But if you're going to set a boundary, it's more likely to work if you negotiate it with your team. And then you must keep to your boundary. So if you, if you say that this is, you agree, 11 o'clock is the curfew time, and you've both agreed on that curfew time, you need to stick to that. If you fail on the boundary, it's, is no longer going to work for them. So being a good enough parent is about enjoying your teen, but also setting boundaries and making sure that they know how to keep themselves safe. Thank you, Terry. Where can listeners find your book and where can they find more info on your work? So my book is available through publisher.co.za and uh, they are the distributors of the book. It isn't available in bookshops at this stage. Uh, hopefully, um, it will be going into the schooling system at some point. Um, but it's also available on Amazon, on Kindle form. The best is probably to go to publisher.co.za and then to type in the title, which is Let Talk Teen. And then my work remains focused on adolescents. Um, so I do talks around the issue so that we can do as much as possible, I can do as much as possible to raise the awareness um, so that teens are better understood and get the help when they need the help. Yes, and we'll also attach the links to the podcast. Now for your three best tips on an easier day. Yes, so I thought, well, this was this is highly appropriate because I often have to think to myself about how do I make it, my days easier for myself. And so I thought of three things. For me, what's very important is that um, you take time to have a good cup of tea. Mm. So you enjoy making your cup of tea and you drink your cup of tea without distractions. So the phone is off, the computer screen is, I don't know what you do with it, switch it off. But enjoy your cup of tea. Every sip of it, nice, slowly enjoy your tea. That's the first one. The second one is definitely take a break. So get out of your workspace. Go outside, have a look at the clouds, experience the rain, have a look at the wind, or, and get a sense of the day that is separate from your work day. Um, and just be in fresh air for at least 15 minutes if you work in an office. And then my third tip is... Something that is, I think, is very special, and is that is to treat yourself. So to plan little treats for yourself on a daily basis. So it could be something like a new pencil or a new pen or a smoothie or pack yourself a nice lunch or plan a little a treat for after work. Um, so small things. Maybe you try a new herbal tea or maybe you have a little book that's full of sayings and you spend just a little bit of time reading a few sayings or you have at the moment a favorite song and you give yourself 15 minutes to listen to that song over and over and over so make time for yourself in your day to make yourself feel special and those are three ways that you could do that thank you terry and now i've got your fun question mm, okay and we're going to the realm of the imagination okay Imagine you could design a guardian angel for teens. Which okay. attributes would this guardian angel need? So I immediately think of that wonderful movie Cinderella and the, and the fairy godmother in that movie. 
She was Helena Bonham Carter, who looked particularly crazy, had yeah. uh, crazy hair and blue lipstick and her had this wildly crazy um, puffy dress and she was quite chaotic and hysterical in, in her manner. So somebody who is somebody who has a magic wand but is quite eccentric in their presentation. So that's what I would imagine for a teenager. Mm. is something like that yeah and uh, although you wrote this book uh, to which extent do you fit into that picture do you think <laughs> that's a very good answer um well i must identify with some of it so i like to wear i've got a thing for shoes i don't wear glamorous shoes but mm. i um i wear shoes that that say something or at least make me feel good so maybe I have the shoe part of the <laughs> of the guardian <laughs> angel, um, but also I just I, for me, you know, teenagers are fascinating. They it's it's a incredibly energetic, dynamic phase of life that you don't have ever again, um, and the energy that teenagers have is just remarkable. And if we can guide it into the right direction, we can get the most amazing things from these amazing minds that have wonderful creative ideas. I think that's probably why I, I work in this area. Yeah, thank you, Terry. Mm. I think you, you really inspire us to look at teenagers with fresh eyes. Yes, I hope so. That's, that's what I intend to do. They are precious, precious young people who need some, some help and guidance. But if you have a good adolescence, you're going to be a good, healthy adult. And that's what's important. Yeah. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9 